feel kind of like God. <laughs> and then this man with the devil on his hand came and took the hat. Free Britney. Free Britney. Hey, all you voodoos and voodolls and all you voodies in between, it's Nick Nobody Savage, and I'm back with another episode of Dab to Death. For this week's topic, not so fresh on the heels of the episode about Miss Casey Anthony, I have decided to take a look at some times when parents, the people that children are supposed to be able to trust and rely upon the most, have crossed one of the most unimaginable lines possible and taken the lives of their own kids. But before we get into this week's episode, please like, comment, share, and subscribe, rate, review, and do all of those things that you do to keep this podcast alive. And let's get into what I'm dabbing on. So I've got some Simple Jack Live Resin Batter from none other than Paper Planes, some RS11 Live Resin Batter, and some Pineapple Tree, uh, or no, Pineapple Jack Live Resin Batter. So... Let's go ahead and, uh, oh, also, I've got my handy-dandy starship loaded up with a couple different carts and plugged into one of my rigs here. And I've got this Cannabis Quencher, um, what is it? Wildberry Guava Agua Fresca Cannabis-Infused Beverage. Coming in at 100 milligrams of THC for the entire bottle, or 2 milligrams of THC per serving. But I don't like serving sizes, so I'm just going to be chugging it straight from the bottle. It's pretty good, not super sweet. It kind of gives me more like a Gatorade vibe. So if you're into like something that's a little more refreshing, not so much about like overpowering, you know, sweetness and fruit flavor, this is what you want. <clears throat> so I think I'm going to start off with a dab of the Pineapple Jack Live Resin Batter. Super light color, really nice, really pretty. Uh, I forgot to set up the camera for the dab shots yeah i know you would think i would know by now but i don't so anyway uh but as you can see here a little bit it's got some nice coloration to it nice battery consistency uh not too wet not too dry you know it's right there in the middle it's just that it's that goldilocks consistency you know where it's just right also, I have decided to bring back the hookah hose for dabbing because why not? It's convenient. I don't have to move very much and I don't have to be ducking off camera to be doing dabs. So, okay. Very subtle. <coughs> a lot of times when you get a pineapple strain, it'll be really like punch you in the face with like that piney kind of, you know, flavor. But this one's a little more subtle. Ooh, really came through on that second hit. The nice sweet flavor. <coughs> of course I didn't <coughs> just drink that. <coughs> that might have something to do with it. <coughs> oh jeez. 
I'm dying. <laughs> only on the inside. <laughs> anyway. Woo. So, when it comes to filicide, which is the act of killing one's own children, the most obvious question is what could drive someone to do something so unspeakable to their own offspring? And of course, like with pretty much everything else in life, the answer is not a simple one. While there is no clear one while there is no one clear-cut reason why, research studies have identified five main motivations for parents who kill and categorized them into groups. These five groups are the altruistic, the acutely psychotic, the unwanted child, fatal maltreatment, and lastly, the spousal revenge group. Now, let's take a brief look at the motivations of these five. The most common of these five is the fatal maltreatment group. Oftentimes, the parent will finally end the child's life to cover up the, the abuse or the child will simply no longer be able to endure the patterns of abuse and succumb to their injuries. The altruistic group are parents who are often mentally ill and believe that, they're, that they killed their child or children to, quote, save them from some real or imagined suffering. This could include an illness that the child may or may not actually suffer from. The unwanted child group view their child as a hindrance and are quite simply and callously Discarding their unwanted children. <clears throat> Casey Anthony. <coughs> sorry, sorry. Won't go there again. The acutely psychotic group are parents who killed their child for some irrational or bizarre reason. An example of this can include a parent believing that their child was possessed by some great evil. Damien, put the dog down, Damien. The last and rarest group is the spousal revenge group, whose sole and shittiest motivation for such a dark act is getting back at their spouse or partner for something. Like, how fucked up is that? That you're just like, it ain't even got shit to do with the kid. You're mad at the baby mama or the baby daddy or whatever, and so you kill the kid to get back at them. Make it make sense, people. Anyway, whatever their motivations, there is no arguing that the final result is an utter tragedy, and unfortunately one that occurs more often than it should. In fact, the numbers are downright depressing. 500 children are killed by their parents each year in the United States alone, and it is largely a United States problem. Uh, it's not really happening as, as often in other countries, which is you know, concerning, we don't have to be number one at everything, guys. I'm just saying, we don't. Even sadder is the fact that 72% of those children are under the age of six years old. I will be briefly going over the stories of some parents who crossed this line, but before I can even think about this topic anymore, I'm gonna need a pretty big dab. <sighs> and so, you know, obviously warnings, uh, this episode does deal with a lot of uh, abuse and mistreatment of children and death of children and um so yeah it's it's not you know it's not the lightest of subjects but uh we're gonna we're gonna try and get through it i think i'm just gonna hit my little starship buddy right here instead of doing another dab because i just did the one uh, if you want your own starship you can get one at hamiltondevices.com uh 
not an affiliate, not a sponsorship. Um, you know, I kind of blew that chance. But uh, just head over to Hamilton. They got some really cool shit. Um, I also like Stash, S-T-A-C-H-E. They've got a lot of cool products. Um, who else have I been buying a lot of or getting a lot of cool shit from? iSpire. Um, check them out. A lot of thermal induction dabbing ability. So that's kind of cool. Um, oh, yeah. Just none of these are product placements or like, you know, paid ads or anything. I'm just promoting good products because if you're a dabber like me and, you know, you want to vary your range of dabbing abilities, check them out. I feel like I just turned like three different shades of red. Well, that was a bad idea. Did a blinker. Oh, oh shit. Oh, fuck. Excuse me, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna die for a minute. I'm gonna, I'll be back. Oh. oh yeah, that's the ticket. If you don't know about the Boulet brothers, by the way, you need to fucking find out. There's something wrong in there. <sighs> Alright, I have returned. I think I'm okay. For now. We'll see. First up in our list of what's fucked up is the story of 22-year-old Alexandra Tobias and the death of her three-month-old son, Dylan. On January 19th, 2010, Alexandra made a frantic call to 911, where she explained to the dispatcher that her son Dylan had stopped breathing. Hysterical, she tries desperately to follow the dispatcher's instructions to perform CPR until emergency responders were able to arrive. The cause of death was determined by the doctors to be abusive head trauma, and initially Alexandra told investigators that the dog had knocked Dylan off of the couch, causing him to hit his head. However, after further questioning, she admitted that she had shaken little Dylan after she had lost her temper with him. Well, now we have, with the shake weight. <laughs> Sorry, that was inappropriate. Uh, I... I like I said, I, I, it's not a light topic, but you got to try to make a little light of it, you know. Sorry, won't do it again. So, what was the source of her frustration? What caused her to lose her temper with little Dylan? Apparently, she was playing the Facebook game Farmville and was unable to focus on her game because Dylan just would not stop crying. So, she shook him. I'm sorry, what? Because you couldn't harvest your digital corn? Because your baby needed your attention? What? Eh, anyway. She then admitted that she had gone to smoke a cigarette, returned, and shook him once more. At which point he, quote, may have hit his head. Alexandra would go on to plead guilty to second-degree murder and was sentenced to 50 years in prison. 
The most ironic part of this whole story is that just a month before her son's tragic death, Alexandra had joined a group on Facebook advocating against baby shaking. I can't tell if you're joking or not. Like, it's just, it's just how. It's, like, it's... I don't get it. I don't get people. I don't, I just don't get people. Like, that's one of the reasons I, I, I am so interested in this is because of the psychology of just people. Like, how? How do you justify killing your baby because you were trying to play Farmville? Farmville fucking sucked dick. Anyway, in the first place, like, what are you doing? Sadly, our next example isn't a one-off instance of abuse, but rather a long and documented history of abuse that resulted in the deaths of six children, as well as both of the parents. This is the story of the Hart family murders. In 2006, Jennifer and her wife Sarah adopted the first three of their children, Abigail, born in 2003, Hannah Jean, born in 2002, and Marcus, born in 1998. Two years later, they adopted three more kids, Sierra Maya, born in 2005, Devante Jordan, born in 2002, and Jeremiah, born in 2004. Uh, side note, it was like super messed up because before they adopted these kids, they were actually fostering a 15-year-old girl, right? And when they decided that they were going to adopt these kids... They basically took this 15-year-old girl and dropped her off at a therapy appointment and then had the therapist tell the girl that they weren't coming back. So off to a great start here already. A little harsh. The abuse began to get noticed in 2008 while the family was living in Minnesota. A teacher noticed some bruises on Hannah's arm and was told that Jennifer had hit her repeatedly with a belt. Shortly after this, all six of the kids had been removed from school for over a year. And, and like, nobody thought that was weird. It's like, oh, yeah, we just, we're just going to pull them out for a full year because you guys noticed that we were abusing them. But that's, that's fine. It's norm normal. Don't call for, like, a welfare check or anything. After the kids returned to school and the pattern of abuse was recognized again, Jennifer and Sarah pulled the kids out of school permanently and homeschooled them from that point on. Again, nobody thought this was weird. It's like every time you start to notice that these kids are coming to school with bruises and shit, they just pull them out of school and then you never fucking see them again. That's not concerning to you? Because that's very concerning to me. I don't even like kids. But still. In 2013, the family was living in Oregon and authorities were notified of the abuse allegations in Minnesota. They investigated and questioned the entire family, including Jennifer. The investigation unfortunately uncovered no new instances of abuse, and Jennifer went so far as to say that the family's problems were nothing more than people being intolerant of a lesbian couple with six African-American children. Way to play the system in your favor. Um, number one... It's not them being intolerant of a lesbian couple with six African-American children. It has nothing to do with that. It's the fact that you uh, have a documented history of abusing your children. I don't give a fuck who you are. You're abusing children. That's what it's about. Don't try to change the fucking subject. 
Fun fact, while they were living in Oregon, 12-year-old Devante came into the national spotlight when a photo of him crying and hugging a cop at a protest after the murder of George Floyd went viral. I actually remember that. I was, like, pretty deeply involved in a lot of the protests when, you know, uh, George Floyd happened. Um, ow, fuck shit. Mm. Anyway. Yeah, I was in Berkeley. I was at a lot of the different protests. Um, I remember there was one part where, you know, we were at a standoff with the police line. And this dude, I'm sitting there like recording because me and my friends were there operating as a, a press unit at the time. And, uh, shit. Yeah, so this dude is just like, you know, he's speaking to the police, you know, in front of him. And like the, the words he's saying, you know, and they're all sitting on the ground, too, because the cops had started to advance and we're going to start pulling people out and arresting them. And so everybody sat down and this one guy is just sitting there and he, the, like the words he was saying were just like so intense and so beautiful that I had to get that whole moment on on camera. And uh, I don't remember. I think I, I think it's on the website. I'll, I'll see if I can find the website and link it. Um, but yeah, it was, anyway, it was powerful shit. And I remember when that picture went viral and it was actually, uh, you know, it was a, a bit of hope kind of, but then, you know, the system continued to just be the system and it continues to be an issue, but we're not here for that. That'll be a whole nother episode. After the family moved to Washington, the allegations of abuse continued to catch up to them, and eventually the heat became a little too intense for Jennifer and Sarah Hart. On March 26, 2018, the abuse culminated in catastrophe when they murdered their six children, as well as taking their own lives, when Jennifer drove their SUV off of a cliff on California State Route 1 in Mendocino County. The bodies of five of the children were found in or near the vehicle, and while the body of little Devante was never found, a death certificate was eventually signed on April 3rd, 2022. <sighs> Sorry, it's... Like I said, it's it's fucked up. It's people killing their kids. Like, I mean, I don't know what else to say about it, really. Um, <clears throat> obviously, you know, if you see something, say something. Report abuse. Uh, if you believe somebody is being abused... If you suspect abuse, um, you know, I'll have sources linked in the, the show notes and you can, you know, call them up, access those resources, um, potentially help prevent things like this from happening. <clears throat> anyway, this next story is that of Lacey Spears and the murder of her five-year-old son, Garnet. Many of you are probably familiar with this story as Lacey was very active on social media posting about the onslaught of health issues that her son was supposedly plagued with, even earning her the title, The Mommy Blogger. Lacey was also always telling the story of how Garnet's father was a police officer named Blake. Damn, I wish my name wasn't Frank. Fuck! I wish it was Blake! Blake! Who died in a car accident, yet that was also... Not the case. Uh, so, in fact, Garnet's actual father was a friend of Lacey's named Chris Hill, who actually wanted to be a part of his child's life, but was blocked at every opportunity by Lacey. In addition to lying about who Garnet's father was, Lacey began lying more and more about the, quote, health issues that Garnet was suffering from. 
even going so far as forcing him into the hospital many, many times for his growing medical maladies. It was during one of these hospital visits in New York that poor Garnet died from lethal, load, lethal levels of sodium at five years old. After his passing, it was discovered that Lacey had been poisoning him with table salt through a feeding tube that she insisted was medically necessary, even though it very well was not. <sighs> like, oh, Jesus. Like, this is, the, this is one of those ones where I mentioned, you know, like the, the real or imagined illnesses. Um, you know, I think what fucking group was that? It's the, uh, the altruistic, I think. But uh, this one kind of, I can't tell if it's altruistic because you're inducing the supposed symptoms and sicknesses. So I just don't, I don't know. Comment which groups you think that these, all of these stories like belong to as far as the five groups, um, you know, whether it was yeah, altruistic, acutely psychotic, unwanted child, fatal maltreatment, and uh, altruistic. So yeah, basically if, whichever ones you guys think they are, just, just comment down below if you're watching on YouTube. While it was acknowledged that Lacey suffered from Munchausen by proxy, where a person will create the appearance of illnesses in another, usually their child, which I was just talking about, she was convicted of second degree murder and sentenced to 20 years to life. I think it's, I think it's time for a dab. Like this is just, it's a lot of death, which again, back to the, the last episode, um, we went and saw the museum, we went and visited the museum of death in, in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I'm not particularly like queasy or like anything about like the like, seeing pictures of things like that. But even me, like by the end of it, my stomach was feeling a little uneasy. It's just, it's a lot, it's a lot to take in. And, uh, but I definitely recommend if you do go take your time and like take it all in because I mean, there's a lot to fucking learn. There's a lot to see. For some reason, there was a lot of letters addressed to a Nick written by Charles Manson, and that just made me very uncomfortable as well. You know, so there was that. Anyway, uh, so I think I'm going to do a dab. I'm going to try the RS-11 just because I did a jack already, you know. Also, I apologize. Um, allergies are kind of kicking my ass. The trip to Southern California and then back up here, it's just like my allergies don't know where the fuck they are. They don't know what the fuck's going on. They're basically like Robin Williams in Jumanji when he first came out of the board game. What year is it? Uh, it was brand new. No. What year is it? Um, oh, wow. That's that's cool. Okay, so this RS11, it's a, it's a little bit drier of a consistency. You know, I'm going to take a little bit of that off. I don't need to be doing monster ones right now. Um, it's a little bit of a drier consistency, kind of a, a got a little crumbleness to it almost, but uh, it's still not nice and light, and the smell's pretty good too. So I'm just going to drop that. Oh. Also, if you're a dabber and you don't have a hot knife, like a little, yeah, like, what are you doing with your life? It's so much easier. You just, wink, drop it on in there. Now wobble, wobble, and drop it like it's hot.
Okay. Can't quite place the flavor. Kind of a little earthiness to it. Not like earthy, but like. Hmm. There's a little funk on the back end. I like that a lot. If you see the RS11 out there, I'd suggest buying it. It's pretty good. If you guys want to find out more about Paper Planes products or the company or um, what products are going to be getting dropped off at what dispensaries throughout California, you can check out their website at paperplanes-ca.com. That is paperplanes-ca.com. Ah, where were we? Another story that in addition to being completely nuts and a roller coaster of catastrophe will be getting its own episode someday is that of Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow Daybell. This has actually kind of been a big one lately. Um, not super recently, but um, Lori was found guilty on all charges on May 12th of this year. So Chad and Chad Daybell is expected to begin his trial later this year or early in 2024. So um, without digging too deep into this story, because we would be here forever. 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 Let's talk about Chad and Lori and the deaths of Tylee Ryan and JJ Vallow. In 2006, Lori was happily married to a man named Charles Vallow, and the two were raising Tylee Ryan, Lori's daughter from a previous marriage, until they adopted JJ in 2014, completing the happy family. Three years later, however, the dynamic in the family changed dramatically after Lori had begun reading books by doomsday author Chad Daybell. In 2018, Lori and Chad would meet, and the two shared an instant connection. The two recorded religious podcasts together and talked often about, quote, zombies, people whose souls had been replaced by, quote, dark spirits. Soon after, Lori began referring to her husband, Charles, as a demon. Dun, dun, dun. Fast forward through Charles and Lori's divorce, the murder of Charles Vallow, and Lori and her brother, Alex, moving the kids to Idaho in order to be closer to Chad Daybell. Yeah, like I said, this one's a lot. Uh, on September 8th, 2019... Tylee Ryan disappeared after a trip to Yellowstone National Park. So basically, just don't go to Yellowstone National Park with people. They're going to kill you. Time and time again, getting proven. Can we just not? Still want answers on the fucking Gabby Petito case, man. Like, goddamn. So yeah, according to Melanie Gibb, a friend of Lori's, she had begun referring to Tylee as a zombie shortly before her disappearance. Then... J.J. Vallow is last seen on September 22nd, being carried into Lori's apartment by Alex. The next morning, when Melanie and her boyfriend asked to see J.J., Lori told them that J.J. was, quote, being a zombie and that Alex had to take him away. This is where religious fanaticism becomes extremely dangerous. Like, you can't just let people spew whatever the fuck they want about this dumb shit. The fact that people believe the shit too. Like, I'm sorry. Anyway, I've just like, I've always been super like questioning and critical of anything, anything anyone has ever told me about religion. 
Like, I don't care what religion you're a part of. I don't, I just, I don't, I just, I just don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want any of it. I, I'm a member of the satanic temple. I, you know, I'm a, I'm an ordained dudist priest, but other than that, I don't fucking care. Like, I don't, I don't want to hear your delusions. Anyway, fast forward again through the suspiciously timed death of Chad Daybell's wife, Tammy, the marriage of Lori and Chad, and the arrest of Lori in 20 and 20, and the arrest of Lori in 2020, in Hawaii, by the way, after she failed to comply with an order to produce her children. So yeah, seriously, like I said, this is a lot. We're just, we're skipping through because it's a lot to get through and I'm going to do an episode on it someday, so... We'll get back to it. Sadly, the remains of Tylee and JJ would be found in Chad Daybell's backyard, buried in shallow graves. The two were charged with first-degree murder, and as I mentioned earlier, the, tries, the trials are still ongoing, with Lori soon entering the sentencing phase and Chad still awaiting trial. Now, the next story is that of 51-year-old Gary Sherrill, who killed his 13-year-old son David with an axe in his Phoenix, Arizona home. Police were first called by Gary's ex-wife after he refused to answer the door when she arrived to pick up David after an overnight visit. When authorities arrived, Gary denied that David was home at first, but eventually the police made their way inside, where they discovered the body. Police who responded to the scene reported that they could tell that David had clearly been dead for a while, as the blood was beginning to dry already. Lacerations and stab wounds covered several parts of his body, and Cheryl admitted to the authorities that he had killed his son with an axe. He then told them that he had done it because he believed that David was a demon and was going to eat him. Now, obviously, the first thought here is that Gary Cheryl was somehow mentally ill. There are those close to him, however, who say that if there ever were any signs of mental illness in Gary, then they never saw them. In fact, Lynn Hatch, a friend of Gary's, swears that he never even saw him behaving oddly. Quote, not once. The last time Lynn had spoken with Gary was two months before the murder, and he says that in their conversation, Gary sounded, quote, excited for life. So, could his mental state deteriorate that quickly? To where, in only a matter of two months, he went from optimistic and excited for life to thinking that his son was a demon, hell-bent on devouring him, unfortunately causing him to end his son's life. While the change in Gary Sherrill was an apparently sudden and violent one, the next story to me is a lot more of a slow burn. A steady buildup that resulted in the death of five children. Andrea Yates had been exhibiting signs of postpartum depression, postpartum psychosis, and schizophrenia, especially after the birth of her fifth child. I mean, five fucking kids. That'll drive you crazy, you know? My aunt had five kids. I don't know how the hell she did it. Like, couldn't, couldn't. I don't even want kids. Like, so one sounds like a lot to me, but like five? No, that's a hard no for me. That's, 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 uh, that's my Randy Jackson from American Idol moment, because that's a no from me, dog. Uh, it's a no for me, dog. Her psychosis was further fueled by the religious teachings and biblical rhetoric of a family friend. See, we're back to religious fanaticism and how it's extremely dangerous and y'all should just stop. Y'all should just shut the fuck up and stop. <sighs> anyway, 
Uh, so, and on June 20th, 2001, she drowned her five children in the bathtub at the family home, later stating that she believed that her and her children were destined for hell and that the only way to save them and stop Satan from returning to Earth was to kill them. Andrea had been evaluated psychiatrically before and had been placed on the drug Haldol to try and help. It was even recommended to Andrea and her husband Rusty that they not have any more children after their fourth kid as her depression and psychosis got worse with, with each birth. However, the couple disregarded this recommendation and Andrea became pregnant with their fifth as the couple had vowed to have, quote, as many children as nature would allow, which apparently that was five. Magic number. Sorry. Moving right along. Do, 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 do. This is depressing. Gotta get a little higher. Don't come for me, Jim Henson. Doctors had also recommended that she be under constant supervision due to her condition. Unfortunately, Rusty had left to go to work, and there was an hour overlap until his mother would arrive to help with the children. In her first trial, she would be found guilty of capital murder and sentenced to life in prison with the opportunity for parole after 40 years. But this conviction would later be overturned on appeal, and at a retrial, she would be found guilty by reason of insanity. She was sent to a mental hospital where she remains to this day, despite the fact that she has been up for release several times and continues to deny her hearings, choosing instead to stay inside the hospital. As I have been reading me about many of these stories, I'm finding that most of these are not so black and white. Some of them really blur the lines between the groups. Like, it's really hard to just put them into, like, one group or the other. Um, some of them are definitely, like, a blending of two different groups, you know? Like, uh, there could be, you know, some altruistic, in you know, intentions there, but it's also, you know, it could also be, um, shit, what was it? You know what I'm saying? You get where I'm, you get where I'm going with this. I just I'm a little <clears throat> a little high. Anyway, despite believing this, uh, I believe that up next we have an example that's a pretty clear cut of the spousal revenge group. And this one is pretty sad. I mean, not that they aren't all sad, but it's just sad because the children ended up being nothing more than collateral damage in a battle between the parents, you know? And so like it, like I said it in the beginning of the episode, it has nothing to do with them. And so it's like, it's just fucked up. So while I thought some of the other stories that I came across were pretty crazy, this one really had some freaking levels to it and actually comes to us from across the pond. Up next is Mick and may read Phil Pot. And this one is one of those rare instances where instead of the issues being between the parents of the children, it was between the parents and the husband's mistress. Allow me to explain. Michael Philpott had a history and reputation for being controlling, domineering, violent, and manipulative towards women. He had previously attempted to murder a girlfriend named Kim Hill, along with several instances of extremely violent abuse. Philpott stabbed her several times while she laid in bed because she had written him a letter saying that she was leaving him. 
so you can see some of the red flags, right? They're just kind of giant and waving like right around here. They're directing air traffic. They're just like doing a little dance, making a little love, getting down tonight. Sorry. Anyway, <clears throat> the more I dug into this man, the more I hated him. His treatment of women was disgusting, and unfortunately, as is the case with many terrible people, he reproduced. A lot. Even worse, when Philpot was 37 years old, he began a relationship with a 14-year-old girl named Heather Kehoe, and the two had two children together. So yeah, it gets nasty real quick, like real bad. Then... Philpot met Mary Duffy, a 19-year-old single mother who was escaping a volatile relationship. Someone should tell her. C can you? Can I tell her? Please, please let me tell her. No, we're we're just gonna let her waltz right into that. Okay. All right, I tried. Anyway, so the two were married in 2003, and the icing on this fucked up cupcake is that Phil Potts' 16-year-old mistress, Lisa Willis, was a bridesmaid in their wedding. The three were all living together in a council house, which is a form of British public housing, and Mick actually kind of came into the spotlight for a while after requesting a larger council house for him, his wife, his mistress, and all of their children. I'm not going to get too much more into the details because this shit really is just on another level. But long story short, Mick, Mayreed, and their friend Paul Mosley concocted a brilliant little scheme to light the house on fire, rescue the children to become heroes, and pin the whole thing on Lisa Willis. Not surprisingly, but sadly, the plan went devastatingly awry and six children perished in the fire. Mick and Mayreed were both convicted, but Mayreed has since been released. Well, this has gotten dark enough to where I need a dab again, so I think it's time for the last dab break of the episode. Which brings us to the simple Jack. P -p 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 please don't hurt me. I'm sorry, but Tropic Thunder was a fucking genius movie. It was hilarious. I love it. Absolutely. Chef's kiss masterpiece. Uh, it's just, it's a good fucking movie. Okay. So like, I don't care if you don't think that, but it's my opinion. Jack Black in that shit is fucking hilarious. He's tied to the tree and he's like, no matter what I say, no matter what I do, don't untie me from this tree. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say some fucked up shit, but just don't untie me from this tree. He's like, Later on, he's like, I'll cradle the balls, stroke the shaft, gargle your man gravy. <laughs> I'm like, fuck, dude. And don't even get me started on fucking Robert Downey Jr. I'm a dude playing a dude disguised as another dude. What? Brought to you by Al Pacino's booty sweat, Papa Canna booty sweat. I'm just kidding. Ooh. Okay, this is, remember how I mentioned getting like that clear pine flavor? With like a floral undertone. Yeah, this one's got a very 
Very interesting turp profile. Ooh. So I know I smoke a lot of Paper Plains products on here, but if there's like any um, brands or products that you want me to try, um, just reach on out. You can comment below if you're watching on YouTube. You can hit me up on Instagram at Dab to Death Podcast. You can hit me up on Facebook at Dab to Death or uh, TikTok at Dab to Death. Um, yeah, all the things. I don't post often, but uh, I'm trying to get better about that. Social media has never really been my thing, though. So there's that. But yeah, just reach on out if there's any brands or any products that you really want me to try on the show, and uh, I'll try them. I'll get as high as I can humanly get. And I already have accepted that I'm probably never going to get monetized on YouTube because of this, but whatever. not here for the monetization you know so much as the uh broader reach of people you know but anyway out of the three though i'd say the simple jack is probably my favorite all right so while the last story was an instance where the death of the children was not exactly intentional this next one kind of feels very intentional and is pretty damn messed up I mean, again, not that the last seven stories have been, you know, about like rainbows and puppy dogs and shit, but um, still. So our next one comes to us from Dayton, Ohio in 2005, where China Arnold was living in an apartment complex with her boyfriend, Terrell Talley, and her 28-day-old baby, Paris. China had definitely had a bit of a troubled past, and had even been convicted of abduction in 2000 and forgery in 2002. On August 30th, China and Terrell got into an argument over the paternity of baby Paris. China has never fully admitted to what she did, but after arguing with Terrell, she placed poor little Paris into the microwave for at least two minutes. Unfortunately, this ended the child's short life. Even worse, there are conflicting accounts on how long it was before baby Paris succumbed to the injuries incurred from being nuked like a Hot Pocket. Oh, now that's in poor taste. Yeah, well, so are Hot Pockets sometimes. So, China then removed Paris and placed her onto the table where they discovered her the next day. China claimed to have been blacked out during the events the night before. Arnold took Paris to the hospital the next day, but unfortunately, there was nothing that they could do, and she was soon arrested. Like, dude, fucking microwave, though, like... Oh, I'm sorry. It's just fucking... Ugh. <sighs> so, China would try several different stories to explain the events of that night, even going so far as to have Tally say that a neighbor's child had placed Paris into the microwave and that his son had pulled him out. The resulting series of trials, mistrials, convictions, and appeals would go on for years, but eventually she would be found guilty and sentenced to life in prison, where she remains to this day. Okay, so I'm not 
quite sure what that was, but um, but now we move to the last of our stories. In my opinion, if you end the life of your own child simply because you don't want your child anymore, then you are beyond a garbage human being. You are scum between my toes. And I hope you rot in the darkest depths of the fieriest pits of whatever underworld there may be. The first person we will be discussing is Diane Downs, and many of you may be familiar with this story, as it has been covered on many podcasts and true crime shows. With this in mind, I won't go too far in depth, plus I'll probably be covering it in its own episode at some point, so, you know. This is more of a brief synopsis than an actual, like, deep dive into any of these stories, you know? Elizabeth Diane Downs had an extremely troubled childhood, testifying that her father had sexually assaulted her when she was thir- well, when she was 12 years old, and that she tried to cut her wrists when she was 13. Diane married at 18 after running away from home, and the couple soon started having children. The couple had two daughters and a son, but then divorced after her husband Steve became convinced that their son was the result of Diane's infidelity. On the night of May 19, 1983, Diane Downs entered an emergency room bay in Springfield, Oregon, with the blood-soaked bodies of her three children in the back of her car. All three of them had been shot at point-blank range. Cheryl, her middle child, was pronounced dead at the scene, and the other two were admitted into the hospital with life-threatening injuries. Diane had also been shot in the arm, but it was far from life-threatening. Keep that in mind. It's important. Initially, her story was that a shaggy-haired man had flagged her down on the side of a dirt road while her three children were sleeping in the back seat. He demanded her car, she refused, and he shot her children. I'm sorry, but no. If you are driving down the road at night with your three children sleeping in the backseat of your car and some shaggy-haired man tries to flag you down, you don't pull over. You hit him with your car. I mean, don't hit people with your cars. I'm just saying, like, if it's a life-or-death situation, if he's, like, going to point a gun at you, then, yeah, maybe hit him with your fucking car. But anyway, there was no shaggy-haired man, so it's irrelevant. Supposedly, she struggles with this shaggy shooter where she allegedly obtains the shot to the arm. After getting away, she fled to the emergency room where, you know, we are now. Not now, but in the story. Um, anyway, however, it wasn't long before Diane's story began to fall apart, mainly because Diane began giving several media interviews where she would proclaim her innocence. Bitch, nobody asked. And with some of the details starting to raise serious questions. It was then discovered that Diane was having an affair with a married man and that this man didn't want children. So she attempted to take the lives of her children in hopes that her lover would leave his wife and be with her. Yeah, that's gonna happen. Fortunately, her daughter Christy and her son Danny survived, and Christy was able to testify against her, ensuring that she wouldn't get away with such an atrocious act. So at least that was good. Yeah, no, like, the, the daughter, like, testified against her mom, and, uh, like, it was, it was pretty, pretty crazy, like, to have to, like, do that against your own mother. Like, I don't know, man. 
But then again, it's crazier to try to do that to your own children. So it's like, what the fuck? Of course I would testify against you. Yeah, I guess I'm yeah, fuck that. Anyway, so the last story is also about someone who resorted to murder for the sake of an affair, and the only story this week where there was a victim other than the children. Actually, that's not true because the um, Hart family murders, but I guess I don't, I don't consider the mothers victims because they were the perpetrators of the abuse and the initiators of the, you know, jumping of the vehicle over the cliff side. So yeah, no, they're not victims. They're assholes. Um, anyway, so I guess, yeah, this is the only one where there's a victim other than the children. So last up is the story of Chris Watts and the murder of his wife, Shanann, and their two daughters, Bella Marie and Celeste. And I forgot to mention here in the notes that, you know, she was pregnant at the time too. So technically they're unborn, they're unborn child as well. Uh, so, and I'm also just going to skimp over this a little bit because next week's episode is actually going to be a deeper dive into Chris Watts and the murder of his family. So stay tuned for that. Um, but until then, let's just jump into it, I guess. Uh, Chris and Shanann met in 2010 and the two were married two years later. That's pretty fucking quick. If you ask me, I'm just saying. Um, they were living in a five bedroom home in Frederick, Colorado with their two daughters and Shanann was 15 weeks pregnant with their son who they decided to name Nico. By all outward appearances, they were a happy and loving family, but behind the scenes, things were about to take a sinister turn. On August 13th, 2018, Chris Watts claimed to have left for work after an emotional conversation with Shanann, and that was the last time her or their daughters would be seen alive. So, I mean, already it seems pretty cut and dry to me. You were the last person to see them alive, and then they're gone, so. Hmm, I'm looking at you, husband. According to him, Shanann had told him that she was going to take the girls to a play date at a friend's house, but that she had been very vague about the details. After an extensive search for Shanann and the two girls, during which Chris played the role of the concerned husband and father, the truth was finally uncovered when Chris failed a polygraph test. After failing the test, Chris finally confessed to his father, Ronnie, that he had killed Shanann, claiming that he did so because she had supposedly smothered the two girls. Chris was arrested and the bodies of Shanann and their daughters were found after he revealed their locations. So what was the reasoning behind such a savage act? Chris was having an affair with a woman named Nicole Kessinger and decided that it would be just easier to murder his family and unborn child so that he could be with her. Chris would go on to plead guilty to all charges and was sentenced to five life sentences in November of 2018, but it wasn't until February of 2019 that he would fully confess the details of what he did to his family on that day. So like I said, I definitely skipped a lot of details on this one. Um, I didn't talk about the potential ghost kid that was caught on camera. Um, But don't worry, Voodies, because next week, like I said, it's all about Chris Watts. It's all about uh, the steaming pile of human garbage. Uh, So we'll go over all the insanity then next week. 
Um, but, you know, as usual, if you have any feedback on this or any other episode, or if you have any topics you really want me to cover, please send it in to feedback at dabtodeath.com. Or, you know, like I said, hit me up on any of the social medias at dab to death. Unless you're on Instagram, then it's at dab to death podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, please like and comment below. And uh, like I said, you can either comment which of the groups you believed all of the stories belong to, um, which of the ones you thought was probably the worst of the stories, uh, as far as like, you know, atrocity level, um, because, you know, it's just, it's just terrible. It's all terrible, but it's just, there's some that are just, yeah, more terrible. I don't know. Anyway, um... So subscribe to the channel for video episodes and more in the future. Like I mentioned, we attempted a Queen Mary ghost hunt mini tour last or the other night. And uh, just the camera. I don't know what the hell happened with the audio. Of course, I fucked up and didn't bring the, the Bluetooth receiver for my wireless mic. So we were using a mic that plugs into the yeah, it's yeah. anyway. Um, so due to technical difficulties, I'm going to try to make, make, uh, well, I mean, it's already out by this point, probably. So if I was able to make a revised video, you guys saw what I was able to make. And, uh, but we will, like I said, revisit the Queen Mary and do some stuff like that. So we will have more video content other than episodes coming out. So keep an eye out for that. If you're listening, um, to the audio only, please rate and review on whatever platform you are listening on. Uh, it would really help me out. I'm trying to get back on my, f you know, traction of like, actually doing things here. And so, yeah, um, I know I always say that, but like this time, this time I'm on it, I think. Um, you know, if I can probably get like prescribed some medication or something, maybe. On that note, mental health is pretty serious, but uh, I have definitely been neglecting mine lately. So we're going to try and work on getting all of that squared away so I can like actually focus on the podcast and actually produce episodes every week and actually post content on social media and do all of the things that I know I need to do to actually like do this if I want to do this. So on that note, uh, take care of your mental health. Um, take care. You know, like I said, uh, report abuse. If you think you see something, say something. So this shit doesn't happen because this shit happens way too much. Like I mentioned, 500 times a year. So that's two, that's 500 too many. So if you ask me, we need to like report shit more. Like, I don't care if you feel like you're just being a dick and a Karen, but like, it comes down to saving a kid's life, you know. Anyway, so uh, thank you. Other than that, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And be careful out there because you never know when you may get dabbed to death.